0: Let's turn now to Isaiah chapter five. Some of you will know that we're in a series going through Isaiah. We're not going to do every chapter. That would be a very long series. But we're jumping slightly to chapter five. Now, Isaiah five. Is God harsh? What do you think? Is God harsh? Many people, they look at the troubles and the sufferings in the world and they know a little bit about the Bible teaches God's a God of judgment. They think this God, he's harsh. But I reckon if we're honest, Christians get troubled with the question, is God harsh? We experience suffering in our lives and the message of the world has soaked into us. You deserve better than this. And we wonder, is God harsh? I have to admit, I find the Bible's teaching on hell, on on eternal punishment, really hard to take. I struggle with it. And I wonder to myself, is God harsh? And we get an answer to that question from Isaiah five, from a song, a song that paints a picture for us. It's a very simple picture, but a very helpful one. So as we read now from Isaiah five, please try and concentrate and take in this picture. Isaiah five. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. And briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Isaiah sang this to ancient Israel, uh, to be precise, to Judah. It was about ancient Israel. But it's also God's message to us. And it's about us. Is God harsh with us? Let's start with a well-cultivated vineyard. This is verses one and two. We start with a well-cultivated vineyard. Now, children, do you know what a vineyard is? A vineyard is where grapes are grown. Aaron, can we have a picture? So, children, can you see there? There's some grapes. And do we have a second picture? And a second picture shows there's rows of vines growing. Rows of vines, each, hopefully, with a lot of grapes on them, growing on a sunny hillside. Okay, thanks, Aaron. And this song is about a person who had a vineyard. And he chose the best place on a hillside like the one we've just seen where it would catch the sun. And he made sure it was a fertile hillside. Children, I expect you know that plants need nutrients and they get them from the ground. So he chose the best ground. But although it was good ground, he needed to make it better. So he put hard work in it and he dug it up. Children, have you done any digging in the garden? Oh, it's hard work if you try to dig. And he dug over the whole vineyard, which would have been a big area. And he took out all the stones. What a lot of work to pick out every stone. So the ground is just right for vines to grow in. And he got the best vine. He sourced it from the top vine growing area. That's what it means in verse two, where Well, our translation says the choicest vines is actually the name of an area. It's a bit like saying wine from Burgundy comes from the best area. These vines came from the best area. And this vineyard would be so good. He must protect it. And so he planted a hedge around it. And he built a wall around it, a double protection against thieves and against animals. And he made a stone watchtower. He was going to settle there in this vineyard. So he could look after it, so he could keep watch over it. And then you only do this if you're really confident of good grapes. This is possibly the hardest thing. He cut into the rock a wine vat. This would be a hollow that would be cut into a rock. What hard work that would be. And he would press the grapes and the juice would run out and run into this hollow in the rock, which would be a safe storage space. For the wine. What care? What effort? What thought he's put into this vineyard? He's done everything well. And so verse four, he says, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? It's all a picture. It's all a picture. God is the vine owner and Israel is the vineyard. God's divine owner. Israel's the vineyard. It tells us that in verse seven. And God had poured such care on Israel. This is what he's picturing. He saw them when they weren't a nation. They were just oppressed slaves in Egypt. And he rescued them. At such effort, at the cost of people's lives, he rescued them. And he carried them through the wilderness and brought them into a land, a land so suitable, a good land for them to give to live in. And he fed them and he planted them there. And yes, they were surrounded by far bigger and hostile powers, but God was with them and he gave their army success. And so they were safe and preserved. In fact, the existence of the Jews today is quite a remarkable instance of God keeping his promises. This tiny group of people where they started tiny, so vulnerable. And yet God has been with them and kept them even up to today. And not only that, he gave them all that they needed. He gave them his detailed laws covering all of life. Uh, Now, when you hear that and you think about the Old Testament law, how do you react? I think we often react "Oh, that nasty Old Testament law, all those details. Oh, dear, we don't like that. And doesn't that just go to show what our hearts are like? We're so keen on our own way. We're so untrusting that God really gives what is good because he is good. And how good of him to tell us how to live, to tell us the way that will work best for us and to do it in detail. He gave them his law. He gave them priests and sacrifices so they could know him. And so they could know how they could be forgiven, how he'd pay for their sins. He gave them prophets so they could hear him personally speaking to them. He gave them so much. Now, this in Isaiah five is about Israel and God favored them above all others. And yet. He's also given so much to all humanity. He's planted us on a fertile hillside. What am I thinking of this planet he's put us on? Oh, he's given us such a good place to live. It's just the right distance from the sun, not too near. So we'd be fried, not too far. So we'd freeze. And he's stacked our place to live with things that are good for us. Just think of the plants he's given us for food. Children, can you think of some fruit and veg? Maybe at home, see what fruit and veg you can remember and say. What have you thought of? Strawberries, melons, lemons, apples, carrots, Brussels sprouts, radishes, lychee fruit. Oh, we could go on and on, couldn't we? God has given us so much. The world around us shows us there is a creator. He is wise and powerful and so generous. And he's given us what we need to be fruitful for him. Children, what makes you different from the animals? Oh, there's loads of things, but one is you've got an amazing brain. I know they have a good brain, too, but no, nothing like yours. No, your brain allows you to look at the world around you and to learn about it and to consider what it teaches you about God and to be amazed at him. And then God has given you speech so you can praise him about that. Yes, I know parrots and budgies can talk. But they don't have language like us. And you can praise God. And God's given you this, you know, right and wrong. And so God has made you able to produce good fruit for him. God has given you the physical ability to say no to sin and to say yes to glorifying God. God has given you ability to live for his glory, to obey him, love him, worship him, the sort of things we Heard a few minutes ago in the children's talk. What he requires of you isn't unreasonable. It isn't harsh. It's all good for you. And it's joyful. And he's equipped you for doing it. That's true of all humanity. But how much more is it true for us at Hollywell? In some ways, well in many ways, we have so much more. Those of you who come to Hollywell or who attend uh, any church, You've heard God's words. You've heard his message. God has told you what he is like and what he requires of you and how he can work in you and how he sent Jesus to save you. He's told you that's amazing what he's given to you. You've had Christians around you to encourage you and to spur you on to do what is right. God's given you so much. Children who have Christian parents, children, do you ever think about what God has given you? Now, I have to admit, when I was a child in a Christian family, I thought like this. Why did I have to be put in this family? I didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't ask for it. Why did I have to be put in this family where I'm made to go to church? And I have to sit still for ages. And when I was little, it was on really hard, uncomfortable pews and listen to preaching that, in my case, went on for an hour. And I have all this strictness and all these things I'm not allowed to do. Why did it happen to me? Now I think, why did it happen to me? I didn't deserve it. And God gave me Parents who were Christians, who prayed for me, who taught me the truth, who were a good example to me, whose lives showed me what really matters. And he put me in a church where I was taught the Bible and I heard how Jesus came to save sinners and how I could receive that. Wow, I've been given so much. Children, are you listening? You have been given so much. God has been really generous to you. And Jesus said, this is Luke 12, verse 48. In Luke 12, verse 48, Jesus said, if God has given you a lot, he expects a lot from you. It's only reasonable. If God has given you a lot, then he expects a lot from you. And he has given you a lot. He expects to see you put it to good use. It's like the vineyard owner and the vineyard. It is only reasonable that God should expect obedience and worship. Good fruit from us. So there is the well cultivated vineyard, the picture and Israel and us. But we have to move on secondly to stink fruit. That sounds funny, doesn't it? But I will explain. Stink fruit. The the vineyard owner has done exactly what he should do to get good grapes. He's done the right thing, done it carefully. He's not held back anything. And he goes to get the grapes with understandably high expectations. And what does he get? Verse two. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only stink fruit. Now, that, that's the word behind where our Bibles say bad fruit. The word is it comes from the word for stink. Rotten rubbish stinks, doesn't it? Now, I don't think it literally means the grapes were rotting and stinking, but the idea is obvious. Stink fruit. Here is fruit. and It puts him off. There's no way you'd want to eat that. If he crushes that, he'll get pus, not wine. And so I thought I'd stick with the word stink fruit to help it stick in your mind. Stink fruit. Now, again, it's a picture of Israel. Verse seven, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. He looked for justice. That means righting wrongs. But he saw bloodshed. That means inflicting wrongs. He looked for righteousness. That means living according to right principles. But he heard cries of distress. That means people are being oppressed. If you read Isaiah, as I hope you will, you'll find there are two main sets of sins condemned. There's idolatry and oppression. Idolatry is wrong worship. Oppression is wrong treatment of other people. And wrong treatment of other people is the main one in view here. For example, verse eight. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. What's that about? Well, it's people. They've already got a house, but they've got a house next door and a house next door. I'm not saying you shouldn't have uh, be a second homeowner, by the way. But here are rich people and they're buying everything up and it's pushing the poor out. It's economic oppression. And this is interesting, this one, because it seems to me that there's a danger that churches fall into two types. Evangelical churches tend to emphasize and condemn wrong worship of God. And liberal churches tend to emphasise and condemn oppression of the needy. And it tends to be that you're either one or the other, you emphasise. But the Bible teaches both. Wrong worship of God, whether it's worshipping the wrong God, a false God, or worshipping the true God in a wrong way, and oppression of people. Failure to care for the needy. Both are a stink in God's nostrils. And God's put it in the Bible because it's not just about Israel. It's a message to us. Are you producing stink fruit? If you treat worship of God as this boring inconvenience, oh, I've got it out of the way for today. Good. That's stink fruit. If you treat God as a charity case, he should be pleased. Unlike most people, I take some notice of him instead of as the king who can tell you how to worship. That's stink for it. If you use the money that God has given you just for self with no thought for the needy, that's stink for it. If you use the abilities and the opportunities God has given you just to climb the career ladder and promote yourself and not for God's glory or to love your neighbor. That's stink for it. If you use the body that God has given you, whether in your mind or actually in the in, physically, for sexual immorality, that's stink fruit. If you use the wonderful gift of language God has given you to gossip, to grumble, to put others down, for unclean jokes, that's stink fruit. God has given you so much, you are a well-cultivated vineyard. Do you produce God good fruit or stink fruit? And so we move on thirdly to tearing down the vineyard. This is in verses five to six. The song has really stopped at the end of verse two and Isaiah is explaining it in verse three onwards. And in verses five to six, we have tearing down the vineyard. The vineyard owner has put in so much care and effort. He's tried everything. In fact, Jesus, who used Isaiah five several times in Luke 13, he tells the story again. And he says that for three years, the owner has gone to the vineyard looking for fruit and found none. And then he, well, he lets it be cared for for another year. Try another year. And then the year after that, well, if there's still no fruits, well, he's got to come to a decision. It's not working. And so it's no surprise this vineyard owner in verses five to six eventually decides I'm not going to work this vineyard anymore. It's not working. I'll take down the hedge. I'll I'll take down the wall. I can use the stones for better things. I'll pull down the watchtower. and can build myself a house elsewhere. Yes, wild animals will get in and trample the plants. You see that in verse five. It's going to be trampled, but they're no good anyway. Yes, weeds will take over. You see that in verse six. But weeds aren't any worse than stink fruit, really, are they? And then in verse six, we find he's not just walking away from the vineyard. He is actively punishing because, of course, it's not really a vineyard. It's people. Verse six, I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The, this vineyard owner, we discover, has supernatural power and you'll use it to actively punish. And of course, this is all a picture of what actually happened to Israel. God left them. He walked away from the vineyard and that left the vineyard defenceless, like a vineyard without a wall or a hedge. And wild animals came in and trampled on it. And who were those wild animals? Their enemies, the Assyrians and later the Babylonians. And Israel was made into a wasteland. Uh, There's clearly a picture here of the Garden of Eden going back to briars and thorns like in Genesis three. And it wasn't just God walking away from them. He actively punished. Look on to verse 26. Isaiah five, verse 26. He lifts up a banner for the distant nations. He whistles for those at the ends of the earth. Here they come swiftly and speedily. Not one of them grows tired or stumbles. Not one slumbers or sleeps. Not a belt is loosened at the waist. Not a sandal thong is broken. What's going on here? Children, have you seen someone at the park whistling for a dog? (whistles) Come here, boy. And then a dog comes bounding to them, a fierce looking dog. Well, here God is pictured like that. He whistles for the Assyrians. (whistles) And across the desert, they bound, not like a dog, more like a lion, this fierce army. And in they go and they trample Israel. And to see what that's like when lockdown's over, see if you can get to the british museum and there at the british museum there's a thing called the lackish relief because the king of assyria from this time had this stone carving i suppose you could call it It's a great big picture made of stone he had it made to celebrate him taking a judean town called lackish and there you can see the king of assyria sitting on his throne and under his feet are heads the heads of his enemies, he's had them chopped off and they're on the walls. So the people looking and children are being forced to look. As some people are being carried off into captivity and some are being skinned alive and oh, it's dreadful. I will leave you to go and see it. Now, do remember, God had cared for this vineyard for hundreds of years and for hundreds of years, he pleaded with them, turn, turn before this happened. So this doesn't happen. It doesn't have to happen. But they thought, oh, it's just religious talk. It's just religious extremists. It'll all be OK. And it wasn't. Oh, someone says, that's the nasty Old Testament. Well, we get to Jesus and we find him using just the same picture. That's what was read to us from Luke 20. Did you notice it was the same as Isaiah 5? God had been patient with Israel. And he'd given them so much. And Luke 20 adds, in the end, he even gave them his son. But they just produced stink fruit. They even murdered the son of God. And so Jesus said, this vineyard's going to be given to others. How did that happen in practice? Well, God gave them 40 years to repent, 40 years to turn to him, 40 years to recognize what they'd done, 40 years of apostles and Christians telling them the good news and offering them God's love. God's so patient. He's so generous. He's not harsh. But when they didn't turn in AD 70, children, do you know who marched into Jerusalem? Who was around in AD 70 who you'd be afraid of? The Romans. And they tore down the city and the roads were lined with crucified people that the Romans nailed to crosses. And Jesus said, that's a picture. That is a tiny taster of what will happen when he returns. There'll be punishment. There'll be terror. It's not just a spiritual allegory. It's not just a religious picture. Uh, No, the Assyrians really did this. The Romans really did this to tell us Jesus will really do this. He's coming back. And it's going to be it's going to be real. It's going to be physical. And it's going to be terrible for those who persist in producing stink fruit. Jesus loving Jesus says that. He's given you so much. He's given you warnings. He's given you warnings now. He's given you time, so much time to turn to him. He's given you his offers. He's not harsh. But if you take no notice, what is coming is terrible. I'm not just saying this because you know I'm expected to preach a sermon. I won't get paid my wage if I don't get preached a sermon. No, I'm telling you this because it is God's warning to you, children. Don't let having a quiz sheet make you think that uh, it's just all a matter of you know listening to sermon is some strange kind of game or non-serious thing. It's God's serious warning. Don't be like Isaiah's people. Oh, it's just religious talk. I'm sure it'll all be okay. It won't. So can you do anything about it? Is there no hope for people who've produced stink fruit? Is there? Is it just all bad news? Let's end briefly, fourthly, on this growing good grapes, growing good grapes. As I said, Jesus used this Isaiah five picture of a vineyard several times in his teachings. And one of those times is John chapter 15. Uh, Don't worry about turning to it now, but you could have a read of it later. And you'll find in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. In other words, I am what Israel should have been. The way to produce good fruit is to be a branch in me. Jesus is the vine who produces good fruit. And the way to produce good fruit is to be a branch in him, the vine. Then you won't produce stink fruit. You'll produce good fruits. Now, gardeners know about grafting in. It's in the Bible. You can read it in Romans 11. But I also checked with a couple of people at Holywell, actually. And they said, oh, yeah, we do gra- uh, grafting in and they know all about grafting in. And it's like this. You take a branch from one tree and you cut a notch in another tree and you put the branch into that notch and you bind it up tightly. I hope I'm getting this right because I've never done it myself. And it will start. If you if you get it right, it will start to grow. That branch from another tree will start to grow in this tree. The goodness and the sap from this tree will flow into that branch. So it produces good fruit. And the Bible says that is the Christian. The Christian is a grafted in branch. How? The Christian is a branch that was that produced stink fruit. The branch was no good. What was to be done with it? You could throw it on the fire. It's useless. Or this is what God has done for the Christian, grafted that branch into Jesus divine. God makes us one with Jesus, united to Jesus. We belong to Jesus and his life, his goodness, his power, his spirit flows into that person and produces good fruit. That's amazing news. In fact, here's a bit more amazing news. We're not grafted in by us making ourselves better. If you think about it, that would contradict the picture, which is take a bad branch and make it better by grafting it in. No, we are grafted in by trusting in Jesus, by relying on Jesus. And then we're grafted in and he makes us better because we're one with him. That's the way to stop producing stink fruit and start producing good fruit. Be grafted into Jesus and have him by his spirit work in you. Is God harsh? Oh, no. He's generous. He's patient. He's done so much for you. It's only reasonable that he should expect good fruit from you, obedience from you, worship from you. And he's not only given you so much already, he's he's offering you now. He's offering you this. Trust in the Lord Jesus. Abandon living for self. Admit you've been producing stink fruits. Rely on Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need I need to be grafted into you. I need your work in me. God is offering that to you now. Will you take it up?